Okay, pasa, move, pasa. Welcome to the Micopreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Dennis Walker. Today on the pod, we are very fortunate to host the co-founder and executive chairman of a company doing big things on the world stage to advance the conversation around psychedelics and what it means to live a meaningful, healthy, integrated, and thoughtful life. Everybody please give a warm welcome to Ronan Levy of Field Trip Health. They're also going to have increased creativity. They're also going to experience increased empathy. They're also going to experience increased regard for the planet and openness to other people's viewpoints. And when we start to measure the impact of that, it's almost unimaginable how different the world is going to look in five or 10 years. Ronan and Field Trip have been on my radar since day one of this podcast as someone we hope to engage in a discourse with, and we made it happen. So on today's pod, we're going to dive into the psychedelic finance end of the micropreneurial spectrum. We'll be using some big words like submarine patent, which I totally didn't have to Google what those mean during our conversation. We're also going to unpack what the FDA approval process looks like in the context of psilocybin and synthetic derivatives thereof. We'll look at the FT-104 novel molecule that Field Trip is currently developing and readying for the global market. And we'll touch upon the existing dialogues and relationships between psychedelics companies and pharmaceutical companies on the world stage. I'm fucking pumped that this little podcast that could is hosting world-class disruptors like Ronin side-by-side with women micropreneurs in Uganda, people living in the hills of Jamaica, so many more folks around the world who are tapping into the infinite power of fungi to solve problems big and small. So let's get this show on the road. Okay, Pasa Mufasa, Ronan Levy, co-founder and executive chairman of Field Trip Health. Welcome to the Michaelpreneur Podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing all right. It's the end of the day. It's a Friday. I'm, I'm on the East Coast. I actually don't know where you're based, but based on you know, San Diego on your shirt, I'm guessing you might be West Coast, so it's earlier in the day for you, but... Uh, yeah, it's, it's been a long week. I'm looking forward to the weekend, that's for sure. Well, we really appreciate you joining us, so thank you so much for that. And I got to say, Ronan, that from the earliest phases of my foray into the world of legal psychedelic-assisted therapies, researching them, and paying attention to the burgeoning psychedelics market, Field Trip is a name that has come up repeatedly and one that has a high degree of momentum and buzz surrounding it. And I'd be very curious to start off talking about mainstreaming psychedelics-assisted therapy and what are some of the challenges to getting it recognized and embraced in popular culture and in mainstream culture at large. So let's dive into that because there's so much interest in it. There's a lot of research going on. And of course, there's a robust legacy of psychedelics as a tool of therapy, but there's still a tremendous amount of stigma around them. And they are largely a class of molecules still scheduled as federally banned substances in many cases with no known medicinal or therapeutic value. So I'd love to hear about from your perspective, what are some of the challenges and some of the opportunities of penetrating the mainstream with psychedelic assisted therapies? Yeah, you're 100% right. There's still a, a legacy stigma that we are working to overcome. There's no doubt about that. But, uh, you know, it's uh, as with any challenge, there's an opportunity. They go hand in hand, right? Like they're yin and yang. And, and so the opportunity right now is to bring that voice, bring that credibility to the conversation. At Field Trip, the founders in Field Trip were actually very active in the Canadian medical cannabis industry. And the, and the lens we brought to that industry was focused on doing cannabis medicine right, doing it in a way that all the doctors who had said, I'm never going to prescribe cannabis. I'm not comfortable with it. I'm not even sure it's medicine. I'm not going to touch it. 
giving them an avenue to refer patients to a place where they could feel incredibly comfortable that good medicine was being done, even if that doctor who was referring wasn't doing the medicine themselves. And we think that created a, a huge driver in the broad-based acceptance of cannabis in, in Canada to the point where, you know, within about two years of launching our clinics, we had about half of every family doctor in the province of Ontario referring a patient to us because we did it in a way that they could get behind. And that's the exact same lens we're bringing to the psychedelics industry, which is we're not trying to get people high on mushrooms. We're not trying to go out there and tell everyone this is a panacea and it's going to save the world, even though certainly there's parts of me that think in many ways they are to some degree panaceas and may actually be instrumental to saving the world. But that's not our, that's not our conversation. That's not our approach. Our approach is this is good medicine done well that shows incredibly powerful results and your patients will have better outcomes as a result. And that's the end of the conversation. I mean, certainly we're not the only ones having this conversation and, and we're the beneficiaries of a wave of incredible research, right? You know, it makes our jobs as as business people, as my job as, as being the spokesperson and the ambassador for all the work we're doing, makes our jobs a lot easier when you have incredible results, like the MAPS phase three clinical trial showing that close to 70% of participants after three MDMA-assisted therapy sessions no longer met the criteria of having PTSD. So you're talking about a near effective cure for PTSD, whereas the standards of care up to that point were like a 30% improvement in symptoms, right? It's not hard to have a lot of people get excited by that, both from a cultural perspective and a society perspective, as well as a medical and scientific perspective and similar results with psilocybin. So really when it comes to fighting the legacy and that stigma, I think all we have to do, and I always attribute it to Rick Doblin, but he corrected me and I can't remember who he pointed me to who's actually said it. He said like, all we have to do is not fuck it up, right? Like that's, that's the most important thing. So be prudent, be thoughtful, don't exaggerate, do good medicine, make sure people have good set and setting and the rest really should by and large take care of itself, right? Because we're not making up the data, we're not making up the evidence, that exists, right? We just have to make sure that people have good results, good experiences, and I think away we'll go. And, and I've, you know, when we started looking at the psychedelic space in 2018, one thing that I became aware of really quickly was that this was going to happen way faster than anyone anyone would have guessed. You know, I put it at kind of like the ten-year time frame, maybe five years, and here we are, two and a half years later, and it has gone so mainstream. You know, New York Times cover article talking about psychedelics, all across news and TV, and it's it's becoming everywhere. So it, it really is speaking to the power of these molecules, but also the, the need of of what we're experiencing in society these days. Sure, and I just literally jumped out of a sweat lodge with a group of Native Americans down here and a group of veterans. Some friends of mine, shout out Veterans Walk and Talk, shout out Shane Norty and the veterans of the uh, United States that have been tremendously underserved. And so many of them are finding effective therapy in plant medicines, in psychedelics, in compounds of that nature. Thank you for the work that you're doing because it's so necessary right now as so many people, so many demographics and subsections of society are grappling with severe mental health issues right now and looking for accessible and effective healing that actually works for them. So I'd love to touch more upon that about the development of novel molecules. And I know that Field Trip is actively developing a novel psychedelic molecule that's similar to psilocybin, which of course is the active compound in magic mushrooms. 
And I believe I, I read a little bit about this in a Forbes article recently. I had a chance to connect with the, a number of the stakeholders in Midasin, who's another company that's doing similar work. And I'd be curious to hear from you, what's the goal of the field trip inquest into a novel molecule or novel molecules similar to psilocybin? I mean, there's a couple of things. One is we're big believers in the power of psilocybin and MDMA and all the other classic psychedelics. And, and there, we're, we're in no way suggesting those aren't wonderful drugs. But human ingenuity is a powerful thing. And there's no reason to think that we can't do better in, in some respects. And one of the biggest challenges with psychedelic medicine is that they're very time and labor intensive. And that is going to make it expensive. If you need a doctor, if you need one or two therapists present for someone who goes through an MDMA assisted therapy session, which can be 10 or more hours, you can understand how the costs quickly add up. You know, it's not just a drug uh, where you give someone a pill and, and the rest happens. There's a lot of people involved with this and that makes it expensive. And so as we were looking at the landscape and realized what the opportunities and where we could create the most impact were, we realized that if we could help or bring down the, shorten the length of sessions in a way that doesn't necessarily affect the therapeutic outcomes, but can bring down the cost and the labor intensity in, in a number of ways, then you could create real impact. And so what FT-104 is, it is it's derived from a known psychedelic. We haven't disclosed the underlying psychedelic. It will come out later this year as our patents come out of the submarine period. But there was a known psychedelic that had very similar subjective experiences to psilocybin, but had a two to three hour duration as opposed to the four, six, seven, eight hours you typically get with psilocybin. Uh, and when we started doing clinical work on it, we realized that what happens in the brain uh, with this other molecule and psilocybin is virtually identical. You have a psilocybin-like objective experience, but you've got it going in two to three hours as opposed to the longer time frames. And we realized that could be a powerful medicine. The problem with this underlying molecule was that it's not very soluble. It wasn't easy to turn into a medicine that can kind of get through the rigors of FDA clinical trials. And so Nathan, our chief science officer, went about trying to modify the molecule in a way to enhance the solubility, make it more of a quote unquote druggable product that makes it more suitable for FDA approval. And FT-104 was born out of those pursuits. And, and so that's why we're so excited about FT-104. It's kind of like everything that's wonderful about psilocybin, but shorter and faster and therefore less expensive, thus making it probably accessible to a much larger audience of people just by virtue of getting the cost down. And, and, and so that's that's the work we're doing. And, and we're exploring other ways as well. Uh, you know, we're a big believer in, in the power of the psychedelic experience. There's no doubt about that. But there's a, a huge population of the world who doesn't want psychedelic experiences. So if you can develop novel molecules from psychedelics that don't necessarily involve an intense psychedelic experience, I think that's going to appeal to a lot of people. So that's so of the avenues that a lot of people are exploring right now and it's certainly an area that we're keeping an eye on although there's nothing really to report in that that space for us at the moment so ronan i'd be very curious to hear anything you can tell us about the fda approval process for a psychedelic drug I believe ketamine is alone in its current status as an FDA-approved psychedelic drug, but we all know that psilocybin mushrooms have been growing increasingly relevant and prevalent as a legitimately effective treatment for a variety of health concerns, in addition to some of the other novel molecules you just touched on, FT-104. Can you tell us a little bit about what the FDA approval process for a psychedelic compound looks like and what that might look like in the context of psilocybin? Sure. I think it's important for people to recognize that ketamine is not approved as a psychedelic drug. It's not approved as a mental health indication. It's actually approved for as an anesthetic. 
you know, for surgery and pain management. The use of it as a mental health treatment is off-label. So the FDA hasn't really studied the use of ketamine for mental health treatments or the treatment of depression. So, you know, we're not, it's not wading into a gray area. It's perfectly legal for doctors to apply their judgment, but we just don't have the, the lens through which to say, here's the process to get an FDA approval for a psychedelic drug. What we're seeing right now, though, is that the FDA has been remarkably friendly to some of the drug development efforts being conducted. So to date, there have been three breakthrough therapy set designations given by the FDA, which means the FDA has identified uh, these drugs and the trials are the MAPS trial with MDMA-assisted therapy, uh, the Compass Pathways trial with psilocybin-assisted therapy, and the USONA trial with psilocybin. And in each of those trials, the FDA has granted breakthrough therapy designation, which means that the FDA recognizes that these drugs are highly promising and meeting a significant unmet need, uh, which is surprising if you think about MDMA and psilocybin, given that they're scheduled, still scheduled one, the FDA is now turning around saying these look very promising and are very important. Uh, it really creates that uncertainty and people are like a little bit confused about the regulatory status of it. But it is really indicative of the fact that the FDA, I think, looks quite favorably on these molecules. What's, I mean, there's a number of challenges with drug development efforts, right? It's, it's a big undertaking. With psilocybin, uh, I believe, the FDA permitted Compass and USONA to go straight into phase two trials. So there's typically three phases or three levels of clinical trial that one has to go through to get a drug approved. The first is phase one, which is basically an assessment of the toxicity and safety of a drug. If I put it, if you take this drug, is it going to kill you? Is it going to maim you? Is it all that kind of stuff? That's really the kind of standard of what they're looking for. Is this safe to give to a person not looking at efficacy? Step two, phase two, is looking at the efficacy of a drug and trying to figure out how much you need to achieve the clinical result, at least in a small clinical trial. And then phase three is the one where you give the drug or the therapy to a lot of people and show that it's more effective than placebo or the alternative uh, medicines. And that's the process. What was unique about psilocybin is, it is as far as I'm aware, uh, the FDA enabled uh, Compass and Usonas to go straight to phase two, that there is enough evidence out there as to the non-toxicity and general safety profile of psilocybin that they didn't need to go through phase one trials and they could head straight to phase two trials, which is you know, great. Uh, it really expedites the process. Where they are right now is uh, Compass Pathways is just finishing up their phase 2B trial, which means they've been administering different doses uh, to people in conjunction with therapy to measure how, uh, whether there is a significant or measurable improvement in that person's symptoms vis-a-vis -vis treatment resistant depression, which is the specific indication that Compass is looking at. Um, like I said before, MAPS is now in phase 3 trials. They're in the second half of their phase 3. They're conducting to phase threes, the results from that phase three trial are, are really promising. One thing I think people should be aware of is that as far as I know, the FDA has only approved three botanical products for FDA approval, which means what we're talking about with these clinical trials looking at psilocybin is that we're not talking about mushrooms and we're ta not talking about mushroom extracts or anything along those lines. We're talking about synthetically derived psilocybin. So chemically creating the that molecule, not taking it from the natural product. Uh, and it's probably very unlikely that the FDA would ever improve a, a natural version of it. It's not possible. It's just much harder because one of the prerequisites for any drug development is that it has to be produced in a GMP compliant good manufacturing 
practices compliant manner. Uh, and it's quite generally quite challenging to do natural products or plant products in a totally GMP process because you introduce soil and, and, and bacteria and all that kind of stuff and it makes it challenging. So that's one of the things and why if there's a lot of people hoping to see a natural product approved by the FDA, probably going to be holding your breath for a lot longer than we may hope for with a synthetic. And, and while I get it, you know, I think I certainly, I would lean towards a, a natural product as opposed to a synthetically derived one. I still think it's wonderful that we're making progress in the right direction, even if it's not necessarily in the form we want it. I think we should really emphasize the function, which is, does this make people better? Uh, and, and the answer I think many people accept is yes, but these clinical trials will prove that beyond a definitive doubt. Sure. And I think there's a quote that comes to mind. Don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good, right? So there's momentous strides being made. And I see that as a victory through and through all the way through. So I recently saw a reference to an interesting task that Field Trip has undertaken to quote, engage the pharmaceutical industry and employers about psychedelic assisted psychotherapy. So you've got your work cut out for you there, it seems, given that Field Trip and companies like you, you're essentially coming for big pharma's lunch, one might say. So how Seriously, are people in the pharmaceutical space taking psychedelics companies and what do those dialogues look like right now between the quote new kids on the block, corporately speaking, and these deeply entrenched and powerful pharma companies? I guess you could say we're coming for big pharma's lunch. I don't, I don't see it that way. I see it as like we're just trying to improve the quality of people's lives, right? And and uh, big pharma can play along and be part of it or they can stand on the sidelines, which is what we saw with cannabis. A lot of big pharma companies stood on the sidelines with cannabis. But again, cannabis wasn't like what we're seeing in psychedelics. Cannabis was driven mostly through grassroots political action or legislative change. What we're seeing with psychedelics and, and their applications as medicines is through a conventional drug development process much more consistent with what big pharma looks like, looks for in, in their kind of growth and evolution. And so, you know, we already see big pharma participating in the psychedelics industry. Otsuka Pharmaceuticals, a very large Japanese pharmaceuticals manufacturer, invested, I think, $10 million in Compass Pathways Series B financing, you know, a year and a half ago or whenever that was. And, and certainly we see a lot of big pharma investors investing in, in some of the leading psychedelic companies like Field Trip. I think, I think pharma and, and psychedelics will go hand in hand. The truth is, is like long-term companies like Compass and Field Trip we're really good and, and we can do a lot of things, but if our goal is impact and reaching the most people, then the infrastructure, the, the Pfizer's of the world and the Johnson and Johnson's of the world's have built in terms of educating doctors, reaching the medical community, educating them and all that kind of stuff is going to enable this to scale much faster. And so, uh, you know, I, I, I know a lot of people have a lot of skepticism and hesitation around big pharma. I'm not going to say it's justified or unjustified, but uh, I think in terms of the goal being helping people, I think big pharma can be one of the greatest amplifiers for this. And, and we know, you know, already that some big pharma are just interested in following uh, people like us and, and seeing what's happening because it does fit within their paradigms, even though it's very unique because what we are talking about is psychedelic assisted therapies. So unlike most drugs that get approved, where we just give the pill and that's kind of it here, the therapy aspect is more incredibly important. So it's going to present novel challenges. Uh, and I think in order to really do what we want to do, bringing the best minds and, and the access to capital and the infrastructure to scale this is going to be the right decision, but we'll see. You know, at the end of the day, we at Field Trip may choose to go it alone. The folks at Compass may choose to go it alone and, and 
awesome. You know, I think that's great too. Sure. And there's a tremendous amount of potential for synergy. I think I actually saw the film Fantastic Fungi the first time at the Exponential Medicine Conference put on by Singularity University. And it was so cool to see this really kind of high end and globally renowned organization putting on a, a massive screening of Fantastic Fungi and all these people coming from different paths and, and watching it together and having a dialogue. Paul Stamets was there in person. So to me, that really opened my eyes as uh, there's a huge amount of potential for these two seemingly distinct entities or industries to work together. And as you mentioned, the infrastructure can enable scaling to happen very quickly and efficiently. A lot of people are uncomfortable with the notion of big pharma, but you're talking on the synergies. And, and it reminded me of a quote from my favorite author, Tom Robbins. I don't know if you've any rep Tom Robbins, but he said, and, and this is a bit of an analogy, but you can sort of see how it applies. He said, like it or not, the rich are the most discriminated people in the world because most people hate the rich because most people envy the rich. Me, I love the rich because sure, a lot of rich people are assholes, but a lot of poor people are assholes too. At least a rich a rich asshole can pay for his own drinks, right? And, and so that's kind of the thinking here, which is like, there are a lot of assholes in pharma and there's a lot of assholes outside of pharma and there's a lot of good people in pharma and there's a lot of good people outside of pharma. Uh, and I think what we got to just focus on doing is making sure that good people are really driving the conversation and really trying to elevate humanity and, and not making purely profit motive the only driving factor because that's where that distortion factor from capitalism comes from. Sure. And let's dive into some psychedelic finance right now. So field trips recently been listed on the NASDAQ exchange and congratulations about that. I want to know why did field trips specifically select NASDAQ as the exchange to list on? And what does it mean for the broader acceptance of psychedelic assisted therapies to have field trip operating as a publicly traded vertically integrated company listed on the NASDAQ exchange? Well, you kind of answered the question, why NASDAQ? It's like the NASDAQ is where disruptors go uh, to really challenge convention and, and the world-class disruptors are there. Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, they all are trading on NASDAQ. Um, and so that's why we chose to list on the NASDAQ. Certainly being on NASDAQ or New York Stock Exchange as a Canadian-based company, both of those greatly enhance our awareness and, and access to capital, which is important because what we're trying to do is not cheap and it requires a lot of capital uh, to execute on it. And so lowering our cost of capital maximizes the likelihood of us being able to achieve our goals. But, you know, NASDAQ is the place uh, where disruptors go. And, and we are really trying to disrupt not only mental health care, we're trying to disrupt the whole conversation around how people think about their mental and emotional health, that the conversation about how you fight depression and anxiety isn't just about how you change a person's neurochemistry. It involves lifestyle decisions. It involves resilience and emotional awareness. It involves exercise. It involves a whole host of things. You know, we are holistic beings and more and more we're seeing mental health and physical health and all these attributes being tied together. And so at Field Trip, yes, we're trying to advance psychedelics, but more we're trying to also advance just like the psychedelic conversation about what it means to really live a, a meaningful, integrated, healthy, thoughtful life. Um, and being on NASDAQ gives us a massive platform to have that conversation to a bunch of people who would never hear that if we were on a smaller exchange. Awesome. Very cool. Well, we look forward to following more of that as I'm sure there's a lot of rapid developments we're not even familiar with right now that are happening behind the scenes. So one question I always like to ask guests on the podcast is I love to ask about the day-to-day -day workflow or hustle of a micropreneur and someone who's directly involved with the macro function and operation of Field Trip, as yourself is. Are you pretty locked into a routine? 
Are you wearing tons of hats? Are you dialing in a million different little tasks that rotate on a daily basis? What does that quote average day look like for you personally at Field Trip insofar as an average can be understood in the context of a globally renowned psychedelics company? We are all remarkably average. Um, you know, I think in the days of COVID, everybody's day to day looks pretty routine these days. You know, this is the room I work in 99 days out of 100. You know, my, my focus is really focused on being the evangelist ambassador. We are fortunate that I am fortunate, I'll say more accurately, that I have wonderful business partners where we complement each other's strengths in terms of strategy, communication, operations, management, all that kind of stuff. And so it's enabled me to focus on the things I'm good at, which is being an ambassador, communicating with people, sharing the vision, sharing the message, and thinking about what the future looks like and trying to predict it so we can architect and direct our, our ever-growing ship in the right direction to create the, the most impact on humanity. I, I would say that the day-to-day -day is pretty, pretty much similar uh, these days because we are so focused just on executing our business model right now, uh, opening up new clinics, getting them up and running, making sure they're profitable, advancing the drug development efforts uh, you know keeping investors and shareholders aware of our progress it's uh, there's a lot to do but now that we've kind of hit the the platform we want to be doing it from it's less about trying to get up there and now just about getting the job done and, and really building our clinics and our profitability and, and our, our science sure and along with that comes the conversation about intellectual property and I'd love to discuss a little bit about the importance of IP in the psychedelic space why are companies like field trip mitocin mind med etc compass pathways so focused on developing intellectual property and how does one go about investigating and establishing that ip yeah i know there's been a lot of conversation around ip in the psychedelic space and i i definitely think uh, rick doblin's perspective is probably the most thoughtful which is if you're creating something new you know meaningfully and valuably new you should be able to derive the benefits of that through a patent you're trying to use the patent system to exclude people from operating in the space uh, for something that you haven't really created, you know, that's just a, an asshole move and you shouldn't be doing it. And I fully agree with that. The, the reason that patents are so important for the work we're doing right now is because it's incredibly expensive to take a drug through phase three clinical trials. You know, we estimate that uh, for FT-104, we're probably looking to $150 million or more to complete all the clinical trials and do all the work to get it approved. That's a lot of money. And so in order to generate a return on investment before generics manufacturers or others come in and, and you know make it available cheaper, which is long-term great uh, and beneficial for society, you need to have the value of a patent that provides you with you know typically 10 to 12 years after you do all the work to get it approved, uh, exclusivity. Uh, and, and that's why people are so focused on it because otherwise, uh, you know, one of the challenges we have with ketamine, for example, is even though it's an approved drug, because no one's done the clinical trials to show that it is actually effective, at least from a, a phase three clinical trial perspective in a double blind placebo model um, for the treatment of depression is that it's harder to get insurance coverage. Uh, what's nice about when people, when companies like us and Compass Pathways go through the efforts to get phase three clinical trials, then there's much more likelihood of getting insurance reimbursement. Um, uh, and so that's why all of this is important. It's We've got to align the incentives to make sure people are inclined to invest the capital to make this work so we can reach the most people possible. 
Awesome. And you know, you touched on this a little bit earlier, Ronan, but I'd love to unpack it a little more about where you see the psychedelic assisted therapy market going in the next couple years. There's all kinds of different perspectives on this. And I've had people, CEOs of various companies who have drastically divergent opinions over where it's headed and how it's going to get there. So uh, there's obviously ongoing research and double blind studies into the efficacy of specifically psilocybin assisted therapies for the context of this program for my myriad health conditions. There are numerous companies who are popping up and further establishing themselves as growing players and major players in the global marketplace. And yet, even with all this hoopla and serious interest surrounding companies like Field Trip, Flow State Micro, we just had Adam Bramledge on, there's pop culture mediums like Double Blind popping up and really penetrating pop culture and, and the international awareness of what's going on. And of course, you mentioned all of these different mainstream media outlets who are starting to cover, who have ongoing coverage, Forbes, Rolling Stone, CNN, etc. There's still psychedelics are still largely an untapped and misunderstood segment of society. But we're starting to see various entheogens and psychedelics on ballot initiatives across different states. Of course, California Senate Bill 519. So I'd just be curious to hear where you see the psychedelic assisted therapy market and the psychedelics industry going and the next few years do you foresee a two to three year time frame for legalization do you foresee decriminalization next year just would love to get some perspective on where you personally see that all heading the answer is yes to all of that i see much more decriminalization i foresee much more legalization like california and florida and all of these states moving forward with their own introduced legislation let alone ballot initiatives i think there's uh, uh an almost 100 percent certainty that you're going to see more jurisdictions create legal access to psychedelic assisted therapies uh, which is wonderful um i truly believe that we're going to see psychedelics represent a significant part of how we approach mental health and psychiatry in the future. The safety and the efficacy just suggests uh, that this has to be a part of it because they work so well. And frankly, there will be so much demand for this as, as people look for novel and alternative and holistic approaches to, to healthcare. Um, it just, there's just no circumstances unless all of the trials that happen right now uh, fly in the face of the 50 years of prior evidence uh, and suggest that psychedelics are not effective. You know, this, this train just keeps flowing uh, forward. More people are going to become aware. More people are going to become educated. More people are going to experience the benefits of psychedelic assisted therapies. More doctors are going to get comfortable with it and, and they're going to see the results with their patients. And, and it's just going to become this incredibly virtuous cycle. What gets me really excited is uh, when we get to talk outside of psychedelic assisted therapies and just thinking about this as a treatment modality. Um, you know, where I get really excited is, uh, and, and one thing that doesn't get talked about much because it seems so outlandish is talking about all the pro-social side effects that go along with psychedelics. You know, I had uh, Dr. Julie Holland on our podcast Field Tripping a couple of months ago and, and she made this very profound point. She's like, the hippies were right. You know, she was like, they're right about so many social issues from the environment to, to feminism, to compassion, to all of these things that we now by and large, except to be true in the right policy agendas, they were talking about that in the 60s, and a lot of that was inspired by psychedelics. And so what gets really me really excited is, yes, we're going to see a lot of people whose depression and anxiety is significantly improved as a result of, of everything that's happening, but they're also going to have increased creativity. They're also going to experience increased empathy. They're also going to experience increased regard for the planet and openness to uh, other people's viewpoints. 
And when you start to measure the impact of that, it's almost unimaginable how different the world is going to look in five or 10 years if you start to see a lot of that, right? Like some of the biggest and vexing problems we have in our society is uh, inability to make movement on environmental policy that's meaningful. Uh, and then more and more, we see an inability for opposing political viewpoints to actually talk to each other. They're mostly screaming at each other from the echo chambers created by our online media platforms. And I, I know I sound like a, a conspiracy theory here, theorist here, but I really do think that you know it's it's the means through which we're consuming our news and information that's creating a further wedge in these conversations. And if people stop being so polarized and become more empathetic and open to other people's viewpoints, then instead of arguing with each other, we can actually work a lot more collaboratively and constructively and actually start to deal with some of these issues. So I think it has a massive, massive impact uh, outside of a purely therapeutic modality. And that's what gets me really excited. I'm, I'm excited for the future of what our society and culture looks like as more people start to heal their emotional and mental health issues and start to open it in a, in a profound way and elevate their consciousness. To touch upon that for a second, I just wrapped up being at the Telluride Mushroom Festival and there were so many amazing people with skin in the game and representing various companies and their own pursuits and even people with divergent or opposing viewpoints were able to have really awesome discourse and I think that's something that we may have lost in a large part socially with these echo chambers that you touch about, uh, you touched upon right there. But the ability to sit down at a table or have a panel where people let ideas go head to head and compete I think is so valuable and it's a, a little plug I'm to work in for anybody listening definitely try to make it out to one of these in-person festivals if you have a chance there's great conversations happening totally divorced from the context of this echo chamber and social media and whatnot so one last bit i we, you know we touched upon a lot of uh what i wanted to talk about today and there's one other question i always like to throw out there and that's what are some of the upcoming projects on the horizon for field trip i know you guys have a ton going on you've got more clinics you're opening i believe there may be six clinics right now and probably quite a few more in the works so i just love to get a kind of broad stroke snapshot of what are some of the ongoing projects or current projects on the horizon for field trip yeah so our focus we've got eight right now operating toronto new york la chicago atlanta Houston, Fredericton, New Brunswick, which, with, which just opened this week, uh, and Amsterdam Amsterdam in the Netherlands, where we're actually working with psilocybin-assisted truffles, or psilocybin truffles. Uh, what's, what's on the horizon for field trip? Just continuing to open up our clinics. Uh, in addition to the eight we've opened, we've signed leases, and I won't remember all of them, uh, in San Diego, uh, San Carlos, San Jose, uh, Seattle, Washington, Scottsdale, Arizona, Austin, Texas, Dallas, Texas, Stanford, Connecticut, Miami, Vancouver, BC, uh, and potentially others that I can't remember off the top of my head. So we've got a lot of clinic openings to get through, uh, certainly making progress on FD 104. We hope to be in phase one. We will be in phase one clinical trials uh, in the first quarter of next year. And then uh, we hope to have new drugs in the, the pipeline. You know, it'd be really nice to have another uh, differentiated psychedelic molecule that we think creates a meaningfully different or enhanced experience relative to alternatives um, out there. So we've got a, a couple that I think we're pretty excited by. They haven't quite gone through all of the diligence that we need to go through, but hopefully we'll see uh, a new molecule in our pipeline uh, sometime before the end of the year. All right, Ronan Levy, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on Micropreneur Podcast. We really appreciate it and we wish you continued prosperity. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. There's so much to cover in the mushroom universe and so many micropreneurs leveraging the infinite potential of fungi to create a more ecologically balanced, inclusive, and equitable world for all of us mischievous little monkeys. 
I am completely stoked that you've chosen to spend some of your hard-earned time in our little corner of the microverse. Hop on the gram, say what's up, at Micopreneur Podcast. That's the handle. Don't get it twisted. We've got the full suite of social media up and running. Twitter, Micopreneur. Got the YouTubes dialed in, Micopreneur. Drop us a line. Tell your grandma and your kooky uncle. Tell your wife and your kids. If you're a Micopreneur yourself, you want to hop on the pod, by all means, willkommen, bienvenidos, welcome. Don't be a stranger. Let us know your thoughts on this episode, and also let us know what you want to hear in future episodes. This is a team effort. Thanks for stopping by the Micopreneur Podcast. Have a lovely day. We'll see you back here next week.